0: thanks for joining us for today's message we're always encouraged to hear about how god is using adventure church to speak and work in your life if you've got a story you'd like to share please do so on adventurechurch.tv mystory also if you'd like to support adventure church financially you can do that online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week now let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from god Alright, Jimmy. Uh, do you mind if I call you Jimmy? Uh, James, please. Right. Right. Well, then, Jimmy, what can I help you with today? Uh, well, I uh, guess I'm here to talk to you about my older brother. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, uh, who is your older brother? <laughs> well, I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's a pretty well-known guy. Uh, my, my older brother is, uh, is Jesus. hmm So yeah, I thought I'd get some counseling, you know, to help me work out some grievances that I've got with my older brother, because maybe I am just a little bit bitter that we never had a normal family prayer when I was growing up. (laughs) I mean, just imagine this. My mom cooks all day, we gather around the dinner table, we all bow our heads, and my mom looks up at my older brother and says, thank you, honey, thank you so much for the dinner tonight. (laughs) And then you can imagine what it was like when it was Jesus' turn to pray, right? I mean, imagine that conversation. Dear God, it's me, you, God. The passage we're walking through is in the book of James. Now, we're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to pick up right where Pastor Kyle left off last week. Um, now, one of the things that I shared with the previous services, I love the book of James, it's one of my favorites, and we're actually walking through the book of James as well at our church. Um, and one of the things I like about the book of James is it's so direct. James doesn't mince any words. In fact, in a few weeks, you'll see this, but he, um, he actually, in this letter to believers who've been scattered throughout the world, he actually calls them fools at one point, <laughs> Like, he's so direct, he calls them fools. And so he just says what's on his mind. Um, And of the 108 verses in the book of James, 50 of them are imperative statements. So he's not... He's not playing around. He's telling them directly, this is the way things are, this is the way it should be. But he's writing this to help correct some problems that are going on in the church. Because even in the early church, we see that there was some division. There were some people that didn't agree with each other necessarily 100% of the time. And so he's trying to bring unity. He's trying to cut through the divisiveness and bring unity to a very diverse group of people. Um, but then he's also, one of the big themes of the book of James is, is living out our faith. And seeing our faith in action. And we're going to see both of these things at work in the passage we walk through today. So we'll jump right in. We're going to start in James chapter 1, verse 13. And it says this. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. Now, we hear this when we go, well, of course God doesn't tempt us. Uh, the enemy tempts us. The devil tempts us, right? We know that. And if that's what you think, that's fine. But I don't know that that's 100% accurate. Let's read the next verse. It says in verse 14, "But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires." So you think it's the devil, but you are tempting yourself. You're the one who's getting in your in your own way. You are in many times your own worst enemy. He goes on to say, "Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown gives uh, brings forth death." And this is what I would say to us today, and, and I'm just as guilty of this as anyone in this room, but many times the devil doesn't tempt us. We're busy tempting ourselves. Um, let's be honest, it's not the devil who is forcing you or causing you to troll on Facebook for an old boyfriend or girlfriend from high school. That's, that's not the devil, that's, that's just you being stupid, Right? Uh, last week, Pastor Kyle talked about trials, how some of the trials we have are circumstantial. They're out of our control. And then some of the trials we have are just because we're being stupid. We do stuff to get us into a mess sometimes, right? And that is a mess we create ourselves. Uh, when, when we think, oh, it's no big deal, I'll just look to see, and all of a sudden we're tempting ourselves. Does that make sense? Oh, it's, 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 I've never, I, mean, I would never reach out to my old girlfriend from high school. I just want to see what she's up to now. Well, what are we doing? Well, we're tempting ourselves, and so sometimes we say, "God, I need you to help me escape from this temptation." And I think God has given us very practical, applicable tools in our lives to escape temptation. I'll give you an example. I talk to guys regularly who deal with um, who deal with temptation and uh, the, the visual variety. They they say, Mel, I struggle with my thought life. I struggle with what I see." And man. Um, The sexualization of women is everywhere. You're standing in the grocery store line. You're waiting to to check out. And while you do, you're you're checking out all the girls in the magazine covers. And they're they're scantily clothed. And they're, man, how do I do that? How do I get over that? And it's everywhere. So it's almost this idea of like, I might as well just, I can't fight it anymore. But this is the thing. God has given you a tool. Are you ready? I want want to tell you about this tool. Every one of you have it. It's, it's, It's incredibly useful in your life. Do you know what it is? Your neck. You can do this, ready? You're looking at the magazine and you go like that. And you turn your neck, your head goes a different direction. It's shocking how this works. Some of you say, well, you don't understand in my situation, I can't just look away because uh, man, I've got this group of friends and they gossip all the time and they're always talking about what's going on and they're talking about issues and and I can't just turn my head. I mean, and I don't want to be a jerk. What am I supposed to do? Guess what? God gave you two feet. You could just walk away any point you want. And you go, well, but c- come on, it's, it's not that easy. It is that easy. It's just not that easy, right? It's hard, but we have to understand we are putting ourselves in position to fail a lot of times. And then we go, God didn't help me or the devil was up to something. No, we were just stupid sometimes, right? And so James is laying this out. He's making it very clear. A lot of times we get ourselves into trouble. I know um, uh, the, the guy in the church is a fisherman. I'm not a big fisherman. Um, I we had a pond behind my house growing up and I would go out there and I would put a, a line in the water and I was so proud of myself because there'd be days I'd, fi- I'd catch 40 fish but I realized when I got a little older I think I ca- caught the same fish 40 times it was just the same fish over and over and over and over it was just shocking how they're all the same size right and so I'd pull these fish out and I'd be so proud but I realized the way as I got a little older this fish is stupid Like, the fish keeps hitting the same bait over and over and over. The fish is not very intelligent because it's got eyes, it's got a mouth, and it's got a stomach. So what it does is it sees what it wants, it consumes what it wants without thinking about it, without thinking of the consequences, without remembering what it was like last time it hit the bait, right? And we do the same thing spiritually we 're tempted, we tempt ourselves, we put ourselves in a bad position, and, and we are, all of a sudden we are eyes and a mouth and, an, and a stomach, and we want to consume what we want, we, we set aside the consequences, we forget about what we did before, how it hurt before, we set all that stuff aside, and we just go get what we want and there's a problem with that because we are more than an eyes a set of eyes, a mouth and a stomach and we 're not just Our temptation, we're not just our desires. So we have to be careful about where we put ourselves, how we position ourselves, so that we, number one, don't blame God when we're tempted, but number two, we understand what we're doing to ourselves. In verse 16, he goes on to say, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his, crea- of his creatures. And I can't get into all of this passage. This is so rich. We can't get into all of it today. But, but let me just hit this with you. Last week, again, Pastor Kyle talked about trials. And I think every one of us have been through trials in our life. We've been through difficulties and suffering and And um, some of it has just been, like I said, uh, our own volition, things we did. Some of it has just been circumstantial. But whatever it is, God wants to use that for his glory. And sometimes we question God's goodness or we question his ability because we go through difficult times. But I love this because James is bringing us back to this idea that even though we walk through suffering, it does not change who God is. See, sometimes it, it changes the way we view God. So we go, God, if you're a good God, I wouldn't have to walk through this. But what we have to understand is there is no turning of shadow in God. God never changes. And, and God is good. Sometimes we, we live in our bubble and we forget how good our lives are. Um, I, I've, told, uh, I've told my wife recently, I said, I forget how good my daughters are until I'm around other kids sometimes. And that's not a reflection on Kyle and his kids. His kids are great. Some other kids that I saw this morning at his house. Um, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But no, sometimes don't you forget about how good your life is. My wife had a Christian counseling practice before we moved to Pennsylvania in Oklahoma city. And I loved it because she would come home and she, she wouldn't tell me specifics, but she'd say, babe, I'm so thankful for you. Be like, that's right, you're thankful for me. I'm never cheating on you, right? Like you've been talking to guys today, cheating on their wives, running around, being crazy. Not this guy. I just don't pick up my underwear off the floor, right? Like I don't help with dishes. Suddenly I don't look so bad because you're comparing a five to a two, right? So suddenly I look a little better. But that's what we do. Sometimes we forget how good our lives are because we get in this bubble. And so what we do is we look at our problems and go, oh, I've got problems and my car broke down. Well, how about if we thank God that we got money to fix our car instead of complaining that our car broke down, right? Oh, my kids didn't make straight A's. And that's a reflection on my parenting because if I was a better parent, my kids would be perfect, right? And we go, come on, like, let's take a look at our real picture and see how good our lives really are. And sometimes we forget that every good gift, everything in your life is because we serve a really good, generous God. So we have to understand that even in spite of our suffering, even in spite of our trials, God is good and every good gift has come from him. He goes on to say in verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Um... Sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes we don't hear what the other person is saying. We get into a discussion um, with someone, and sometimes it's heated, and we don't hear what they are saying because we're too busy preparing our rebuttal. Have you ever done that before? Uh, and sometimes, I'm, I'll do this with my wife, we'll be having a conversation, and I don't really hear what she's saying. She's just making the Charlie Brown teacher noise. Do you know what I'm talking about? The wah and I'm just, I'm not even listening. It's like, yeah, whatever. And I'm just like loading. I'm ready. You know, as soon as she's done talking, like, kaboom, like, I'm going to let her have it. And, and so she finishes the conversation. And I didn't even hear what she said. But sometimes it's dangerous because she will finish the conversation and the tone will go up. So I'll know she asked a question. So it'll be, wah, 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 wah. Uh, I mean... <laughs> How do you answer that, really? There is no right or wrong answer. I mean, it's all all up to interpretation. She's like, honey, I asked you what you wanted for dinner. How can you know what we want for dinner? Who knows? It's all up in the air. You're right. Like, it's clear that I wasn't listening. But we do this all the time. Social media is the worst. It exasperates this problem because we just want to be right so often. We're pushing our agenda, and we're pushing our rightness on other people, and and you're wrong, and I'm right, and my politics are right, and your politics are wrong, and my spiritual uh, view is right, and your spiritual view is wrong. And, And sometimes we're so focused on winning an argument that we lose a relationship. Sometimes we'd rather be right than righteous. And what what James is saying to the church, what James is saying to the people of God is set that junk aside, lay it down, because what he's saying is there's a way that the world thinks and there's a way that God thinks. And when we adopt that lifestyle where we are quick to speak and quick to anger, then what we're doing is we're saying, you know what, God, you have your way, but this is my way and this is the way we're going to do it. I'm more interested in winning an argument than I am about winning a relationship. And when you look at scripture, when you boil this thing down, Jesus was asked by one of the Pharisees, what is the greatest of all the laws? And he said, hey, they're they're twofold. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. If you do that stuff, don't even worry about everything else. You'll get everything else taken care of. What was he saying? He's saying relationships matter. And this is what James is saying. Relationships matter. It's more important to be in right relationship than it is to be right. So so don't worry about winning the fight. Be be right in relationship with them. And it's hard for us to do that because we want so badly to be right, don't we? We want the the last word. We want to look like we're intelligent. We want to look like we know what we're talking about. But sometimes we have to lay that down for the glory of God and for the sake of a relationship. This is what he goes on to say in verse 21. He says, Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, this is some strong language again. It says, put away, with, uh, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. You know, Mel, I'm not a perfect guy. I mean, I got some problems, but rampant wickedness, that's strong. Like, that's some strong language. That's not who I am. But again, we're, we're bringing the idea, James is bringing us back to this idea that there is... There is a black and white. There is God's way and there's the world's way. And there is no in-between. And, and what James is saying here is, is in the same way that when you bring your groceries home from the grocery store, you put them on the counter, you don't just leave your milk out and your eggs out and your, all your stuff. You don't just do that. Maybe you do because uh, your, your spouse doesn't help you Sometimes I'll I'll put it, Kim will say, hey, would you help me put away the groceries? And I'll say, sure, sure, I'll I'll help you put them away. I put up the milk and the stuff that'll spoil immediately if it doesn't go in the grocery, I mean, in the refrigerator. So I'll put it up and then I'll leave everything else out because I'm like, I'll get it later. But she hates it. She's like, why didn't you put this stuff away? And I was like, I will get to it at some point. Like before we need the cereal, I will put it away. I promise, right? And that, that drives her crazy. What James is saying here is the same way that we put those things where they belong. We put those things in their proper place. He's saying the same thing with our filthiness and rampant wickedness. He said that doesn't belong in the heart of believers. So take that stuff and put it where it belongs. Put it away. Tuck it up and stick it away. Put it as far away from you as you can because that does not belong in the heart of followers of Christ. And when we follow Christ, we lay those things down so that we can receive the implanted word that he's got for us. Um, I I love, the church that I pastor is a great church. I love it. Uh, Indiana, Pennsylvania is a very, um, it's diverse because we have about 15,000 college students. So we have a mosque uh, right next to our church, which is interesting. I had all kinds of things people told me we should do when the mosque was being built. Uh, We will not even get into that. Um, But we got a mosque in our town, um, and we've got a lot of foreign nationals who come to the university to attend school and and get their degrees and so there is some diversity in our town and and when you look at our church uh there's diversity it's socioeconomic we've got people that are blue collar and white collar and and no collar if we're going to be honest we've got people who uh work in the mines we got people who work on farms we got lawyers and doctors we got everything in between uh we got old people and young people and i love the diversity but this is the problem with the diversity sometimes Um, When there's diversity, they all bring different baggage and they all bring different expectations and ideas to the church. Um, And so we've got a very progressive church. I mean, it looks and feels a lot like Adventure Church as far as style goes. And so we've got people who say, no, I really love the worship, but it'd be better if we sang all hymns. And and, and not just all hymns, it'd be better if we sang maybe like um, pipe organ, like funeral dirge hymns. That would be the best if we did that. Okay, thank you for your input. I appreciate that. And then we've got people that go, Mel, I, I love the worship, but you know what would make it better? If we turned off all the lights and just had smoke and hazers and, and lasers, and it, we want it to feel like a Led Zeppelin laser light show. That's what we want it to feel like, right? So we've got people on, way on one end and people way on the other. And we've got people that say, Mel, it's so cold in here you can hang meat, and I, I leave my blanket there on my seat every week because it's so cold. And then we've got people that say, Mel, why don't you turn on the air once in a while on this joint? It is so hot up in here, right? what are we saying well we've got all these diverse opinions and ideas and at the end of the day what James is saying is to bring unity to the body it's going to take enough maturity in some of us to lay down our preferences for the good of the kingdom we have to say you know what this is what I prefer but it's not a deal breaker so uh, I'm more interested in seeing people come to Jesus and God glorified than I am in making sure my agenda is pushed does that make sense I'll give you an example. Um, there was a guy named Carl, a um, 76-year-old man. He started attending the summit back in um, December. He came to our Christmas Eve services. His granddaughter and his daughter had been attending before that. And Carl came by the office and he sat down with me. He sat down on the couch and we were sitting there talking. And he was just telling me how much he loved the summit. And he was telling me about how much he loved worship. And I said, Carl, that's amazing because most people that are 76 years old don't love our style of worship. And he said, well, Mel, this is the thing. Every week I come in, I can sense the Holy Spirit in worship. I can sense it. And he said, but I'll be honest with you, my favorite music is the Gaithers. Now, if you're new to church or you're new to church community, Gaithers is not contemporary music. It is Southern Gospel. It's the guy singing, looking for a city. Like, you know, like the high pitch and the four-point harmony, all that kind of stuff. And so what he was saying is, I don't really like the style of music very much. he said, this is the thing, though. He said, every Sunday... I look down the row and I see my son or my daughter and I see my granddaughters and I see my great-granddaughter. And he said, so when I see that, I don't really care what kind of music we sing. This is what he's saying. He's saying, I know what's most important. It's more important for my kids and my grandkids to be in church and to hear the word of God and to grow in their faith than it is for us to sing the style of music that's my favorite. I'm willing to lay down my preferences for the sake and the glory of God. Does that make sense? And this is what James is calling us to. This is what James is saying Put away the stuff that divides. Put away the heart that says, I have to be right about everything. And I'm more interested in winning an argument than I am in winning a relationship. He says, put that junk away. Because the most important thing is relationships. Receive the implanted word. Verse 22, he says, this is really important. Please catch this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, I look around this room and I see a lot of really good-looking people. So, well done. Very attractive people here. Um, And what I recognize is that you probably have mirrors at your house that you looked at, right? Right? Now, if you go to—I'm from Oklahoma. If you go to Oklahoma, there are some people that you're pretty sure they don't have mirrors, right? Like, uh, you go, did you check yourself out before you left the house this morning? Have you ever seen those people, like, in Walmart? You're like, really? You knew you were wearing this before you left, and you wore it anyway, Right? mirrors are important what do mirrors do they reveal our condition so we look in the mirror and we go okay here's what i look like now this is the thing men and women are wired very differently have you ever noticed this guys we'll look in the mirror and it doesn't matter how big and fat and ugly we are we look in the mirror and we go i look fantastic oh yeah i haven't worked out in 10 years i still got it right woman could be a perfect 10. She looks in the mirror and she goes, oh my gosh, look at that, right? Oh, oh, this is horrible. This is terrible. And so it's totally different when we look in the mirror, but it reveals something about us. It helps us uh, make adjustments if we need to when we go out of the house. Um, My wife is beautiful. I love my wife. I'm grateful for her. And she doesn't need to wear very much makeup and we live in this small town and we have a big church in a small town and so we see lots of people we know and people that we don't even know recognize us sometimes and anyway we're it's just the kind of the curse of living in a smaller town so there'll be times i'll go hey babe let's go let's go get some ice cream and uh she'll go hey i didn't put my makeup on or i don't want to put a hat on i don't know we're gonna see someone no we're not gonna see anybody we know you know that's a curse of death right like when you say that, you're okay, you're right. You're going to wear the yoga pants or the flip-flops and your hair and a hat and no makeup, and you're going to see 20 people you know. You don't even get out of the car. They're going to come up to the car, right? And so sure enough, we do that every time. But what she's saying, she's not saying I'm ugly. She's saying, oh, I don't, I don't look like I'd want to look to present myself to the world, right? She says, I, I see my condition, and I want to make adjustments. And this is what a mirror does. It helps reveal something about our condition so that, If we'll take action, we can make adjustments. And this is what James is saying. He's saying, the person who who hears the word of God, but then refuses to make adjustments and refuses to apply the word of God to his life is like the person who looks in the mirror and goes, eh, I'm not going to worry about it. Or even worse yet, looks in the mirror and forgets what they look like when they walk away. Now imagine you go into your office on Tuesday morning after the long holiday and you walk in. And the guy stumbles in about 10 minutes late. You look over and he's kind of a mess. And you recognize as one of your coworkers. You go, Jensen, what? what, what you, are you wearing pajamas today? Jensen looks down. Yeah, you know what? I just, uh, I woke up and I was just, I was tired. So, I wore the pajamas? Okay. Uh, okay, whatever. That's, that's fine. And he comes a little closer to you in conversation. Jensen, did did you forget to brush your hair this morning? Yeah, you know what? I noticed that it was a mess when I woke up. I mean, I looked in the mirror and it was clearly not fixed, but I just realized, man, it's so much work and I know I need to do something about it, but man, it's, it's exhausting, it's hard, so it is what it is. All right, uh, good enough, good enough. And uh, he comes a little closer and you go, Jensen, did, when did you find time to eat a diaper that washed up on the beach? Did, did you brush your teeth this morning? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. No, nope. you know what? It's, uh, I mean, gosh, it's really not about the way I look or anything. It's about my heart. And my heart's right. I knew I needed to do something. but uh, And so it's, it's what's in here that counts. And you're like, no, I'm pretty sure that your breath is, like, rotting right now. Like, I can see it coming out of your mouth. It, it, it's, why don't you go home and clean up, right? And as silly as that example is, that's what some of us do spiritually. See, we have a mirror held up to us every weekend when we come to Adventure Church. Uh, Pastor Kyle or Jake or somebody brings a word and that holds a mirror up in front of us and we go, oh my gosh, wow, look at that. Man, some, uh, something needs to happen. And then we walk away and we forget what we look like. We go, man, I need to be a better dad. And then we walk away and forget what we look like. Or we go, I need to be a better husband. We walk away and forget what we look like. Go, man, I need to let God get a hold of this sin issue in my life. we walk away and forget what we look like. And this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to understand that it's not enough just to know something. We have to apply knowledge to our lives. And this is a problem in every area of our life, not just spiritual. Let me give you some examples. This is going to hurt a little bit, so just brace yourselves. Um, None of us want to be in debt, do we? Is there anybody who's like, you know what, I want crippling credit card debt. That's what I want. I want. I want to never go on vacation or let my kids play in a ball game again because we can't afford it. That's what I want. No. Everybody wants to be financially free. All of us would like to be wealthy, to be able to afford to do things when we want to do it. And this is the thing. A lot of us know what we need to do to do it. We just don't want to do it because it requires us spending less and saving more. We go, well, that's fine, but I mean, I got to have, I got to have cable, 400 channels at my disposal. I have to, and I have to have Netflix, and I have to have Hulu, and I have to have, right, and we make our list. We go, these are all things, we have to have all this stuff, so I'm unwilling to do that, but I want to be out of debt we say things like, yes, I want to be out of debt, but I've got to have Taco Bell at 2 a.m., and I'm going to put it on credit card so that I'm paying off an 89-cent burrito at 30% interest for the next seven years, which is the dumbest investment any of us can make. It's bad enough you're going to Taco Bell. You're going to regret that the rest of your life, right? So how do we get out of financial problems? Well, Stop spending stupidly. Start saving more and spending less, right? We know this. We just don't apply it. How do, how do we have a good marriage? Every one of us, if you're married, you want a good marriage. Every one of you who are single that plan to be married someday, you want to have a good marriage. How do you do it? Well, Ephesians chapter 5 says this. It says, uh, wives submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. And, and husbands, love your wives sacrificially in the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. So it's not a mystery. How do we do this? Well, I need to love my wife sacrificially. That means I need to love her more than I love myself. And and wives need to learn to trust their husbands and submit to them and respect them. That's at the end of the day, the name of the game. If we will just do that, we'll have healthy marriages, right? That's easy to say, but it's hard to do because I'm stupid sometimes, right? I'm selfish. Let's be honest. Aren't we all a little bit selfish? It's hard to live sacrificially. It's hard to put your wife first or your husband first. It's not easy. If it was, we would all have great marriages. There would be no marriage counselors because we wouldn't need them, right? So we know what we need to do. We just don't want to do it. This is one that's going to hit really close to home. I know how to get skinny. I know how. It's not a secret that Jake Worth is keeping from me. (laughs) Have you seen Jake? If If I had abs like Jake, I would never wear a shirt again. His six pack has a six pack. Did you know that? He's a 12 pack. I didn't even know that exists. I know how to do that. It's not a mystery. But I love me some ice cream. I'm not going to give up ice cream so that I can have a 12 pack. This is not going to happen, right? I know what to do. I'm just unwilling to do it. Knowledge is not lacking, it's application in our physical life, in our finances, in our marriage, in our spiritual life. We know what to do spiritually. We talk about it every week, God talks about, hey, get involved, get plugged into groups, get plugged into serving, give financially. We wanna invite you to be a part, come build relationships. We know what we need to do. It's not knowledge, it's application. And this is what James is saying. Take action, do something. Don't be like the idiot that looks in the mirror and forgets what they look like. Do something with the knowledge you have. Apply it to your life, make a change, do something different than you've been doing. But take action. Yeah. It's hard to live lives of discipline and action, to do what we need to do. But it's worth it if we'll do it. If it's worth it, but it's hard. If it weren't hard, all of us, every one of us would do it. Um, my wife and I recently, we were talking to a, a um, person in our church that had messed up big time. Uh, there's no excuse and this person just said, you know what? Um, if, if I remembered this time how bad it hurt my family and I, the last time I did it, I would have never done it again. I would have never acted like this. I would have never done this. But I, I just, I was stupid. I thought I was doing better. I thought I had everything under control and I let myself get back into an old habit, an old relationship, and I messed up. What they were saying essentially was I looked in the mirror and I forgot what my condition was. I forgot what it was like. I forgot how much I needed the grace of God and how much I needed God's help. And I let myself get back into a place that my true condition came out, that I I got in trouble. I I put myself in a bad position. I think that's good for us to remember. If we just remembered how badly it hurt the last time we blew it, the last time we messed up, we'd be less likely to mess up again. James contrasts that in verse 25. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So again, he he comes back and says, okay, this person's a fool who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets. But he said, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, this person is going to be blessed. If you're new to church or you're new to God, you hear this and you go, the law of liberty, like, okay, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Because the law, we understand the law is restrictive, right? That's why there's speed limits. They don't just blow it open and go, i drive as fast as you want through the school zone. Nobody cares. You know, there's no laws. It limits you, right? It restricts you. If you don't believe me, I'm not even exaggerating. There were probably 20 or 25 police cars from Pitt, Indiana, Pennsylvania to here on my trip yesterday. They were everywhere, they were pulling people over. I mean, it was crazy. What were they doing? They were restricting the speed limit. They were pulling people over, right? They were getting tickets. They were making their budget. Um, but they were restricting. That's the way we think of the law sometimes. But what James is trying to help us do is understand that the law of liberty, the law of Christ, it doesn't restrict us, but it frees us. It allows us to live a life that God dreamed for us to live. Because um, we look at scripture and we go well if i'm a good christian i got to give this up and i got to give that up and i can't do this and i can't go there and i can't be friends with them (sighs) look at all these things i'm giving up but that's not the way we're supposed to approach it at all um how many of you have a toaster in your house yes a bunch of you if you don't get married and you will get like four of them for wedding gifts um so in the toaster you get the toaster and uh, you'll either get an instruction manual with it just in case you don't know how to push a button down um, and start toast. I don't know who doesn't know how to make toast, or uh, it might be on the cord. There's sometimes a little instruction. And what it'll have in there is like the best use practices. It'll say uh, a number of things like, hey, to get the best use out of this, don't do it this way or don't use it this way. But one of the things it'll say in layman's terms is, if you want to get the best use out of this, don't plug it in and make toast while you're sitting in the tub because you will die, right? Does anybody not know that? In case you didn't, then it's a healthy update for you. Make a note, right? And it's silly to think that anybody would do that because uh, who wants soggy toasts? So that's just dumb. But second of all, you would die, right? So the manufacturer of the toaster is saying, don't make toast in the tub or you're gonna be dead. Because there's a principle that's true, no matter how old the toaster is, that water conducts electricity, right? So if you're sitting in a tub, you drop the toaster in, you're gonna be dead, and it doesn't matter if the toaster is made in 1952 or 1999, which tells to some people is old, which makes me feel old, or if it's a brand new toaster. If you drop it in the, the tub with it, you're going to die. The principle's true, right? And this is the thing I don't see very many people railing against the toaster industry on Facebook. Or griping about how the toaster industry is trying to rule our lives and restrict us from making toast in the tub like we want to as free Americans. We can make toast wherever we want to, toaster industry. You can't tell us not to make tub toast. We're going to do it, right? How crazy is that? Because people go, whoa, 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 back off a little bit. Uh, It's nuts to think you would do that because they just don't want you to die, right? They want you to buy another toaster at some point. But what we do is we do this with scripture. We go, man, the word of God, God's just trying to limit us. God's trying to keep us down. God's trying to tell us what we can and can't do. He's trying to take fun out of our hands. And this is the thing God's not trying to limit us with the book of rules and do's and don'ts. He's trying to free us with a guide that's helping us live our lives to the optimum level. He's, he's trying to say, hey, if you don't want to die, this is the best way to live your life. Here's the manual. Apply it to your life, and you're going to get the maximum value and usage out of it. Does that make sense? There's so many times we apply scripture and go, well, I can't do this and this and this and this, but what, really what we should do is say, God, you have freed me from the consequences of all these different things. you freed me to, to live a life that you truly dreamed for me to live if I would just apply this word to my life. Verse 26, it says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, for me, this is convicting because uh, sometimes I talk without thinking. Does anybody else ever do that? And, and I like to make jokes, so sometimes I'll make jokes unintentionally at somebody else's expense, and I'll hurt somebody, or I'll say something without thinking, and it's just... It's hurtful or damaging or offensive or whatever it might be. And so when I read this passage and I see that that a person that does not bridle his tongue um, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. It's convicting for me because I think, you know what, I'm a pastor. I'm a leader. People look up to me spiritually. I've got to be able to guard my heart so that my tongue doesn't say things that are dwelling in my heart. Does that make sense? I've got to guard myself because I don't want to forfeit my right to minister to somebody just because I said something stupid. I don't, want, I don't want to lay down my ability to minister to somebody's life because I cracked a joke that was offensive to them. Does that make sense? So God, help me guard my heart. Help me guard my mouth. Help me not say stupid things. Help me bridle my tongue. And so what James is saying is, It does not matter how religious you say you are. It doesn't matter how often you attend. It doesn't matter how much you watch. It doesn't matter where you serve. If you can't even guard your heart and guard your tongue and bridle it, then what is your religion really worth? He goes on to say this. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself Unstained from the world. I love this because sometimes we get this backwards. We we think that pure religion before God is that we will uh, be nicer and we'll be better, and we will um, we will not drink in public, and we will not go to rated R movies, and we won't smoke, and we won't dip and chew, and go with girls that do, and all that kind of stuff. Right? Here's the list of rules, and if I just fulfill these rules, then God will like me more, and things will be good. And we think that's the way it's got to be, but but. James flips that around. He goes, no, 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 how about this? How about if if you want to see pure religion before God, you go and visit orphans and widows in their affliction. You go and serve and minister to and help and bless somebody who's been marginalized by the world, somebody who's been cast aside, somebody who's been forgotten about. Go do that, and what that's going to do is show what's going on in your heart. And he said, oh, and, and by the way, keep yourself undefiled by the world. This is what happens, and this is what I truly believe. I truly believe uh, we get so focused on not sinning. And I I was sharing this with somebody last night that that we white knuckle it. We just go, okay, I've got to stop sinning. I've got to be nicer. I've got to be better. I'm just going to do it. And we try to will ourselves and it never works. But what happens is, and it's powerful, what happens is when we submit ourselves to the lifestyle that God's got for us, when we allow ourselves to fall into the place that God's got for us of, of serving and blessing and helping All of a sudden, we don't have time to sin anymore. We don't have to worry about the habitual stuff that's kept us bound up because we're too busy looking outwardly at the people around us. We're too busy helping and serving and blessing to worry about, I've just got to hang on until Jesus comes back. That is not a lifestyle that God wants for us. God wants us to live a life of freedom and fullness. He said that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, Abundant life is not hanging on until he comes back. Abundant life is living a life of generosity and living a life of freedom in Christ. That's what he wants for us. But it doesn't happen because we hear it. It happens because we do it. It happens when we apply it to our lives. Some of you are dissatisfied with your spiritual walk. I want to challenge you today. Apply the word of God to your life. Begin to make a change. Don't just hear it, but do it. Do something with it. Take action. Jake, you guys can come on up when you're ready. The, um, yeah, you can come. Yeah. Oh, is he back there now? I thought you were, Jake. I'm sorry. It's too dark. You're too good looking and buff. Hi, Jake. Did you hear me talking about your six-pack abs earlier? Okay. (laughs) This is the thing. Um, Some of us want so desperately to change. We want something different spiritually. But you're kinda like me, where you go, well, I wanna be, do something spiritually. I wanna grow spiritually, but I like ice cream too much, so I'm not willing to do anything. And it's one thing, and God's convicted me about it physically, I'm working on it, but it's one thing to do that in our physical life, it's another thing to do that in our spiritual life. God's got something more for you. It's not that he wants something from you, but he wants something for you. There's something powerful about saying, God, you've got my life. I'm going to serve you however I can, whatever I can. God's offering you something. He's not trying to take something from you today. So what I want to challenge you to do is is think about, God, what would you have me do? How can I take action? Maybe there's something in your home specifically you can do to take action. In your marriage and your relationship with your kids maybe there's something specific at your workplace you can do to take action but but i'm going to be even more specific today maybe you're here and you recognize there's something you can do in this church that you go man you know what i've been a part i love adventure church but i haven't been contributing to it i've been consuming but i haven't been contributing i've been receiving and hearing the word but i haven't been a doer of the word i want to challenge you today maybe you've been coming to this church and you've never given financially i want to challenge you be a doer today Take a step of faith and say, God, I'm going to trust you with my finances. Maybe for the first time, you're going to you're going to give, and you're going to take that step, and you're going to trust God. Maybe you're here today and you've never served any place, and you said, "But no, I don't want to help with Kid Venture. I'm not really four kids. I've got four kids, but I'm not really I'm not really a kid person, right? That's okay. Well, they can still use you at Kid Venture somewhere. If you're if you're a nice person, I bet you can help with Kid Check-in, right? If, if you can smile and greet somebody, I bet they can find a place for you greeting people as they walk in the door. If you've got an opposable thumb and you can shake somebody's hand, they got a place for you. It doesn't really limit it very much, does it? But this is what I'm telling you today. Whatever your gifting, whatever your passion, whatever your talent, whatever your heart is, I promise you the leadership of this church can help you find a place to use your giftings for God's glory. If you'll submit yourself and say, okay, I'm not just gonna be here, I'm gonna be a doer today. That's my challenge to you. This is what's gonna happen right now. These guys are gonna lead us one final time in a song. As they do, I just want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you, because the Holy Spirit speaks differently to all of us. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what your next step is, because there's a next step for everybody in this room. Don't get me wrong. This message is not for one person, but not you. This message is for you, just like it's for me. What is your next step? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about what you're supposed to do, what your action step is. Because there is an action step. We couldn't preach a message like this, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, without having action. So what action are you gonna take? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you.